My name is Dr. Stephanie Powell, and I am the Human Trafficking Chair for the Western Area of the Lynx Incorporated. I am also the National President and Director of Law Enforcement Training at the National Center on Sexual Exploitation. During this podcast, you will learn the harsh reality of a subject that is happening here in the United States. In fact, it is hiding in plain sight in hotels, motels, nail and hair salons, agriculture, and yes, on our city streets. Human trafficking victims can be found in many places, schools, churches, foster placement, and that's just a name of few. Sadly enough, no one is immune. Therefore, it could be happening to someone close to you. You see, traffickers don't respect boundaries. The purpose of this podcast is not to scare you, but to educate and motivate you to help combat human trafficking. The Western Area Leadership of the Lynx Incorporated recognizes the tenants involving human trafficking. Therefore, our call to action is to encourage 70% of the Western Area chapters from Alaska to Texas to assemble victim comfort bags for their local nonprofit organizations as well as law enforcement agencies. We are also asking them to educate their communities on the public health and legislative impact of human trafficking on the African-American community through workshops, webinars, and podcasts. It is my hope that you will learn and become motivated to work within your community to combat human trafficking. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to the Make the Connection to End Human Trafficking podcast, a three-part series sponsored by the Greater Denton County Chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. I'm your host, Kim Whitaker. Thank you so much for joining us for this discussion on human trafficking. Our goal is to create awareness and advocacy for this very common community concern that is often hidden in plain sight. Today, we're pleased to have Sarah Lynn Morgan, Victim Assistance Specialist with the Department of Homeland Security as our guest. She's here to help us better understand exactly what human trafficking is and who the likely victims are. Hi, Sarah Lynn, thanks for being here. Hi, Kim, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure and privilege it is to join you in this conversation to raise awareness. Human trafficking is defined as modern day slavery involving the use of coercion or fraud to obtain some type of labor or sex act. That's the textbook definition. So Sarah Lynn, you're on the front lines. Tell us a little bit about the reality of human trafficking and the work you do to assist victims. So human trafficking is so horrific it changes every aspect of an individual who experiences it. So the federal definition is that it involves the use of force, fraud, or coercion to obtain some type of labor or commercial sex act. And so every year, millions of women and men and children are trafficked worldwide. When you look at the actual individual who has been trafficked, there's severe trauma. Many of them, their brain is changed. So when you talk to you might 
have conflicting information. Their memory has changed because of the severe trauma that they are experiencing and that they have undergone the violence, um, the injuries, the head injuries. They don't remember things. So it almost looks like they have multiple personalities. And sometimes they do because they dissociate to survive the dangers that they're exposed to, such as choking and strangulation and the violent acts that perpetrators perpetrate on them. So when we encounter them as a trafficking victim, many people think that they are of foreign descent. Most of them are not. Most of them are United States citizens, which is another myth that we have to really change because they are hidden in plain sight, as you said in the introductory, and we see them every day. Sometimes we see them at school as teachers. Sometimes we see them in hotels. We see them in stores purchasing things, um, and we just don't know what they are doing or what they're up to or what they're undergoing because they can't ask for help. Wow, that that is a, a very startling description of what the reality of human trafficking is. So let me ask you then, you've talked about some of what victims experience. Let me take just one step back and just say, what are some of those indicators we look for or what are some of the characteristics and traffickers that are out there? So when you um, notice someone, you might see, one of the things that uh, my husband and I saw recently, we were in Walmart and there were two young ladies walking in Walmart. It was in the middle of the day and they were heavily made up. They were, they had a lot of makeup, had a long extension eyelashes, weave in their hair. They were just very, very dressed up, looking too uh, older than their age. And so I asked them as they ran into the store together, I said, where are you headed? And they're like, oh, to a function. And so I, I thought maybe they were going to tell me some type of cheerleading competition. And so the two girls were by themselves. They, like I said, they looked younger. They didn't even look like they should maybe they might have been early high school if they were maybe 13 14 years old i just kind of told my husband what i suspected and as they were departing when they left the store there was an individual that was standing at the door waiting for them and then there was a vehicle waiting and there were other girls in the vehicle and so it just kind of made us really curious but sometimes that's just one example that i really saw in real life sometimes you will see strange things uh, one of our clients that we actually recovered, she was running down the street, uh, down, down not the street, the highway, Interstate 35, barely dressed because she had escaped her trafficker. So you might see something out of the ordinary of that nature. The person might seem fearful, overly fearful or submissive or tense or paranoid. Those are indicators that someone is under distress or duress because their traffickers inside fear. They might even be alone. But the fact that they're having a conversation, they're really groomed as to what kind of conversation they can have, what they can say, and who, and if they can talk to anyone. Um, sometimes with a submission, another person is speaking on their behalf, or they're deferring to another person to get information because they're told what they can and can't say and who they can and cannot speak to. In the medical setting and in other settings, you might see physical injuries. There might be injuries that are unexplained. You might see tattoos. The person might not have appropriate clothing for the season. So if, uh, like the young ladies we saw, their attire was inappropriate for the weather. They should have had on more clothes. Um, so that's something. A person might not have that identification. 
sometimes you see people that are, they look malnourished. So just, uh, you might see quote unquote, a couple that are like a mismatch couple. It's like, why would that young girl be with that person? Or why is she calling him daddy? You know, why is she referring to her as mama? You know, because, uh, you know, they might call each other wifey. So they might have multiple phones um, because they are being tracked and traced and they're conducting business. And so that is one of the ways that their traffickers keep a tab on them. So those are just a few of, uh, sometimes for school-age kids, why do they have these expensive items, expensive jewelry and uh, name brand clothing when they don't, they're not in a socioeconomic status? You know, where are they getting these clothes from? So just things out of the uh, out of the norm, you know, so those are some things that you can look for. No, that's great information. And I think that's really helpful in, in, in helping us open our eyes to see what's right there in front of us that we may not ordinarily um, notice when we're going about our day. So l- let me ask you, how do, and I know this happens to young girls, young men as well, but how do they find themselves in this circumstance? It varies. I, I mentioned grooming earlier. Grooming is a tactic that traffickers use to lure, to coerce, and to fraudulently uh, sometimes establish a quote-unquote relationship with a young person. The average age is 12 to 14 that someone is trafficked and recruited into the life is what you'll hear it called. And so the way that it sometimes happens, most people think it's through kidnapping. It's not like taken. It's not often violence and it sometimes for the victim seems voluntarily so it, they think that they volunteered because they look at the person who's trafficking them as their lover as their boo or bae as i've heard it referred to so they feel they are into a relationship so they might encounter this person on social media Uh, which is oftentimes where it happens. If it doesn't happen that way, social media often facilitates the continued connection and the continued bonding. If it doesn't happen on social media, sometimes there is recruitment. They are recruited. So sometimes when an individual is being trafficked, they are then forced to recruit other young individuals to work or to join the life. And so sometimes their friends will recruit them and set them up. The kid doesn't know what they're getting into, but they're going to a party with a friend and then they are forced into trafficking as well. So it happens in various ways. Uh, Sometimes a kid might run away. And when they run away from home or when they run away from foster care, because 80% of the individuals who are trafficked, they have some type of social service connection. 88% 88% of them, they have been sexually traumatized. So they, they have sexual abuse in their history. So this is a vulnerable person and a vulnerable population looking for love in all the wrong places, looking for acceptance. Because I told you the age is 12 to 14, that person that's an adolescence with their brain development is looking to be accepted. They are gravitating for someone to affirm them. And so, and often, it's so sad nowadays that parents have kind of set their kids up because they get a cell phone so so young. Uh, So we have invited the enemies into our home with cell phones and with devices and parents are working multiple jobs. They're busy with all of the activities and obligations and kids are left alone to find that connection and they find it with the dangerous predators who are praying the internet. 
Wow, you know, you, that's, um, again, more very, I think, impactful information that really opens the door to just asking the question. And I know this, there's a great answer that you'll have for this, but why don't victims just leave the trafficker when, you know, because when you see that there's all this trauma that comes along with it, um, why don't they just leave? That is the question that so many people ask in a queue. Why didn't she just walk away? And, you know, and I was teaching a, a presentation today and I asked this group of professionals, I set the scene. I said, so here you are, you are being sexually exploited. You've been traumatized. You are being trafficked. And there is a video of you doing promiscuous sexual acts that you didn't really agree to, but it looks like you're in the mode because you were drugged in order for this video to be taken. Your trafficker threatens to put that on social media. I asked them, what would you do? 100% of them says I would comply. I would do what it takes to preserve myself and my reputation and my family because oftentimes their families are threatened. And as I told you earlier, they're recruited and coerced into this fraudulently under the guise of a relationship. And as a result of this relationship, they voluntarily give their information to the trafficker about their social media accounts. Because if this is my boyfriend, I need to prove my undying love to him. So I'm going to give him access so that he can see I'm not cheating on him. He can see I'm committed to him. And so as a result of that, the perpetrator has their social media information, has their family information, has their parental information and everything about them. They also have some things to blackmail them. They drug them. They videotaped them being a party and so forth. They also threaten them with weapons. They control them with drugs. They do violence to others that are being trafficked. And when you see this violent act happening for someone who is defying the trafficker, what would you do? Would you walk away or would you stay? When you don't know where you are often, what are you going to do? Because many times I have several clients that were trafficked and they were transported in the trunk of a vehicle. So they wouldn't know where they were. They didn't know what day it was. They didn't know what city they were in oftentimes because they moved them so often and so frequently. It's confusing. And so they're in this foreign place with these foreign people being exploited multiple times a day, sometimes upward of 30 times in one day, what are you going to do? Are you going to walk away? Are you going to have the courage to walk away? Most of us wouldn't. Yeah, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. And based on what you described, just seeing um, two young ladies in Walmart, you know, that's just everyday life. I know we hear about trafficking around big events and cities. Does it seem to you that you know, human trafficking is growing. Is this an issue that's growing in our communities or do we have a handle on it? Where do you think we stand right now? Human trafficking is not new worldwide. There's over 44 million people that are enslaved to trafficking. It's been going on. It's going to continue going on because we don't have enough law enforcement to stop it. The public is not educated enough. They don't know what they see them, like the individuals in Walmart, like the massage parlors, you know, people being labor trafficked, hotels, restaurants. We see them every day, but we don't recognize it or we overlook it or it's not our problem. And so is the problem going away? It is absolutely not because it's a lucrative business. And so when you think about where it ranks tied with number one between uh, weapons and drugs, 
they're all interrelated. It's a reu- human trafficking is a reusable commodity. So if you sell drugs, you sell it at one time and you can't resell it. You can sell a human over and over again until you use it up. And then you can harvest their organs, you know? So you can do a lot of things with it. So the thing is, is human trafficking is big business. And many of the individuals who are facilitating this, they don't have the means to make the kind of income. The estimates say they average on average $12,500 a day, depending on how their organization. So that's a lot of money for certain individuals. And then on top of that, it's not going away because we have a problem with demand. If there was no demand for sex, if there was no demand for children having sex with children, we wouldn't have to supply it. So as long as there is a demand for it, it the supply is going to be there. You know, that's that's really sad to hear because, you know, children, you know, we think about children being our future and, you know, we want to be able to do everything we can to protect children. Oftentimes, this is a challenging subject to discuss. Um, and I think that's one of the other reasons why, you know, that hidden in plain sight is a reality because we don't want to face those kinds of things happening to the children in our community. What are, you know, some of the things that you think parents or teachers or other caregivers can do to help mitigate the problem and hopefully keep them from their social media or other ways of going down that road of human trafficking? So one of the first things that I think everyone needs to do, we need education, education, education. We've got to educate ourselves on what this is because you'll often hear the children referred to as prostitutes. There's no such thing as a child prostitute. That child is being exploited. Uh, Oh, he or she is just being fast. They got themselves into it. Kids are running away from something or running to something. So what we got to educate, time equals love. Parents have got to quit allowing their kids to be isolated and be on the game boxes. I have so many young males who are recruited and solicited through gaming systems. So that's where they are trapped with the exploitation. And so the gaming system, the connecting with friends and the community through social media, people that they don't know. Many times on social media, what kids and adults and parents and teachers don't realize is the person that you think you're communicating with is not who's behind that picture. There are stolen identities. And so we are sometimes friending and giving information to people who have stolen a photo online and are using it. So parents have got to be educated. Parents have got to be involved. Teachers have got to be educated, involved. We have to be present. We've got to speak up and speak out. When we see something, we've got to say something. Maybe you don't have the whole story, but if you got a piece of the puzzle, submit that piece of the puzzle to the tip line. There's a Department of Homeland Security tip line, and that number is 866-347-2423. If you have a piece of the puzzle, you report that information, maybe that child is missing. If that child is missing and you reported seeing this kid wherever, that might be the missing piece for that child to be recovered. And so we've just got to know what the resources are. Each of the individuals who are trafficked, they need community. We've got to build community around our kids. For my kids, they didn't get cell phones until they were 16 years old. And when they did get them, we had trackers on them, just like traffickers put trackers on their victims' phones. We had trackers. Live 360 was free. 
we use Live 360. Now we have iPhones, so we have Find Me. My adult boys, they have their locators on their phone because things happen to adults as well. They go to parties. They don't plan to get anything into things. So just being involved, educating and having conversations is one of the best ways that we can prevent. And the other thing that I tell parents is don't set your kid up not to talk to you. And what I mean by that is don't tell your kids you got yourself into it, get yourself out. I tell parents all the time, tell your kids, tell me if you've done something and you find yourself stuck or in trouble. I will help you or find help. I think all of us need permission because social media does such a good job of exploiting our reputations, ruining and talking bad and negative about things. But we never stop to ask, why is this young kid caught with pornography on her school computer at the age of 11? That's a real situation right now. Why does an 11 year old who knows the school is monitoring the computer, why is she recording pornography on her computer? I told the principal that brought that situation to me, I said, you should be asking, were you trying to uh, reveal something that's going on? That kid is probably crying for help. If there's not help, help must be needed at home. Maybe the parents are involved and why this pornography is being recorded on her school device. That's another thing the school has done, allowed the enemy in with all of the digital learning and the virtual learning. COVID brought it about. COVID raised the odds and, and, and opened the access to our children and they're not monitored appropriately. And so, and I don't think the school has the resources to monitor all the devices and everything that is going on. So, because traffickers have underground ways to give kids access without them knowing. So they have different apps and things that kids can tap into and nobody can monitor because we're still behind the curve when it comes to cybersecurity and knowing what the different icons and apps are that are available, but our kids know them. Well, you know, as we get smarter, as technology gets better, you know, unfortunately the criminals get better as well. I want to switch gears just a little bit because I know that you do work with victims and I wanted to ask a question about the people that you see in your work as a, a, a victim assistance and how how people are, are perceived in the system, how they're received, because you talked about the many different ways that people come into human trafficking. And so I'm wondering about how those folks are received, you know, when they obviously maybe come to you or to the police or to an agency that's trying to support them. You talked a little, touched on this a little bit, but I'm wondering about that perception because I've got to believe that sometimes victims are not always treated, may not always be treated as well if they do think, you know, someone needs to get themselves out of an issue or find a solution on their own. Yeah, you're absolutely, it's so sad because unfortunately, many of our first responders are not trained and they're not trauma-informed. And what I mean by trauma-informed is you've got to be able to ask trauma-informed interviewing questions. You got to be sensitive to the fact that when a person experiences trauma, their memory changes. So oftentimes they're accused of lying because the first responder doesn't understand that when trauma happens, the memory goes offline. And since the memory goes offline, that means that the person's experience is gonna be fragmented. The story that they're telling might not always quote unquote line up. It might not make sense to the regular quote unquote normal person. 
And so they got to learn to do interviews that tap into the senses. And most interviewers, most law enforcement, most medical providers don't think about that and don't understand that. And so they're often judged. They're perceived as, oh, she's just prostitute. She's just selling herself or he just doing this, you know, and got caught. But the difference is, is with trafficking, there is no pay or compensation. Unless you consider compensation venereal diseases, unless you consider compensation no sleep or one meal after you make your quota of $1,000, unless you consider compensation, I'll get your hair and your nails done so that you can go work for more customers. That's the compensation that they get. They're enslaved. They're having sex with multiple partners 10 to 30 times a day. And so that's no compensation. And so we have got to get away from just looking at what we quote unquote see on the surface and look beneath the surface. What is the underlying factor? What are the underlying causes? Why is this kid running away? Why does this kid keep running back to this same adult in the neighborhood? What's going on there? Why is this kid drawn to a 30 year old? What's taking place there? Why does a 12 year old have a venereal disease at the emergency room? That's not a prostitute. There should be no prostitution claims or accusations for anyone under the age of 18. And just so that most people know that are listening to this, even the quote unquote adult prostitute didn't get into it voluntarily. Was this person born into it because it's a pip's kid and that's all they've known is the sex world? Or was this kid's mom a prostitute or a pip? Where did it get started? Has this person's reputation been ruined to the extent that they can't get a job? They are trapped because with prostitution charges, with miscellaneous charges, with drug charges, which the victim is often accepting those charges for their pimp. So it damages their record for getting a job. And then you have the African-American who is resilient and that their response doesn't line up with victimization because they're allowed. They're fighting back. Because if you know the responses to trauma, it's fight, flight, freeze, or fond. And so you have those that are fighting, that are loud mouth, and that are dr- doing what the trafficker has mandated they do, and they're doing it very well. They're sold out, it seems, to the trafficker, and they're not easy to deal with, so they don't get the level of services understanding or care that others might get that might be a little more tearful you know but this kid that's been raised in the foster care system all their life and aged out they know about survival they know about having a hard exterior they're not gonna buckle down and cry for anyone and anything because they've had to survive all of their lives sometimes from the time that they were born so those are just a few of the things and disparities within the system uh the treatment is not the same uh, we talk about comprehensive care for uh, victims or survivors. The treatment is different. You know, I find so frequently in cultural diversity and cultural sensitivity and awareness is being addressed, but some are slow and some don't want to deal with it. So many women of color, Hispanic, African-American, they are often exited and not accepted into programs because if you have a violent background, that say that they have the fight response and they fought their trafficker or they fought law enforcement. Now they have a charge of aggression or assault on them. Why was she assaulting you? You know, was it a trauma response? So they have these charges that sometimes help law enforcement facilitate controlling them 
which is what the traffickers do. And so that prevents them from being able to be housed. They have a trauma response in the treatment facility. If they outlash at any other uh, person that's in treatment, they'll get kicked out. So you put them back on the street and you put them back at risk and set them up to have to go back and depend on a trafficker or a madam. A madam is a woman trafficker that's exploiting them. So there are a lot of broken things in our system, but we also have a lot of great things that are happening. And there are a lot of great programs and people that are taking care of, regardless of the race, they're taking great care of those individuals who have survived this horrific crime. You know, that's I, I love that transition that you made because I do think, you know, because it's such a heavy subject, I think we do have to think about what are, you know, what are some of the things that we could do as a community, especially as we think about disparities or supporting others. You know, as a part of this podcast series, we're going to talk to law enforcement. We're going to talk to an agency that helps survivors. But just from your experience, what are some of the things that we can do to address those disparities or, you know, even just help to stop trafficking? Well, I, I think um, just like slavery, when slavery was eradicated, it took the faith community. It wasn't law enforcement that stopped it, but it was the faith community. So we need community. Every individual who is trafficked needs a community to rally around them. No one organization or no one entity can eradicate or solve this problem. It's our problem. If you start looking at it from that perspective, it's going to change your outlook. It's an everybody problem. Everyone has an obligation. You ask, what can we do? Volunteer. If you don't want to volunteer, give your money because the resources are limited. They are few and far between. If you have properties, donate a property to a business so that we can house these individuals and their unborn children so that their kids don't end up in the foster care system. And so there are so many things that can be done for the faith community. If you don't have the money, if you don't have the time, pray. You know, just keep an eye on it, get educated, set up forums and opportunities for the community to be educated. Talk to your schools, petition for this to be educated in the school. You shouldn't start educating kids at the age of 12 when that's when the average age of individuals trafficking. So you need to start educating them on cybersecurity in elementary school or even before that, to be honest you know, or keep them off of it or be on there with them when they're on it all the time. So it's so important that we understand that we can all participate in education, whether it's doing the education, calling someone like myself to facilitate a conversation or you facilitating the conversation for the radio, because we Homeland Security do education and outreach for any group of any size of any faith. And there is no charge for it. So there's no excuse for not having the education done right there in your neighborhood for your organization or for your group. And just so that everyone will know, they can reach me at 214-930-0754. So this is not just talk. You can call me, you can set up an opportunity, and we can schedule a, a conversation and education for your group to be educated for your kids. I've done this uh, for churches on Bible study night. I've done this for schools after the school has vetted me and screened me to make sure I wouldn't say the wrong thing or get too raw and real. But what they don't realize is our kids already know. They already know this. You're the one that's in the dark. Because when I talk to kids, they're like, ma'am, did you know about this? Did you know about this side? Did you know we see this? So there are things that are being done and that can be done for teachers 
It's so important that when you see a kid come to school and they're sleeping at the beginning of class, ask yourself as an educator, why is this kid tired and school just started? This kid never has anything to eat or this kid eat like this is their last meal. You know, so ask yourself, why is there a, a drop in this kid's grades or an improvement in the grades? Because we've had kids that have had to make a certain grade and get accepted into certain colleges because their pimp has mandated that they do this. So they go to school every day and they work and do see customers in the evening and after school and overnight. And and, and the average person's like, how does that happen? Where does a parent during that? That's a good question. Maybe that's that single parent that has to work overnight and that kid is left alone because that does happen. So for those who are judging, there are situations where some parents are working two and three jobs and the kids are raising the kids. And the kids are sometimes trying to figure out how can I help my mom? And when the invitation comes from the other kid at school, you want to make some quick money? They're recruited. That kid goes off to try to help their parents innocently, not knowing what they're getting themselves into. So there are various situations that people are dealing with. Let's quit judging and let's jump in and put your feet in action and quit talking about people. I think that's a good art. Well, I am very pleased today. This has been, I mean, truly informative, insightful. We have been listening to Sarah Lynn Morgan, Victim Assistance Specialist with Homeland Security. This has been great. You have truly, I feel, brought us into the light. And that is a part of what we wanted to accomplish is that first step of awareness and helping people understand the reality we know what the textbook definition is of human trafficking. We hear parts of it in the news, but that is often not the reality of what our children face, what other adults face in our community. And this is our community. And you know, as a part of the links, we wanna make sure that our community is the best that it can be. Is there anything else that you would wanna add before we close? I just wanna say that it takes all of us to protect our children and our communities to prevent human trafficking and it's going to take a partnership if we don't partner with each other we cannot prosecute these perpetrators and then at the foundation of it all is trust so in your home establish or reestablish trust with your children be connected so that the perpetrator doesn't have access to them and i think that's so important for us to just kind of consider is we have this detachment and this isolation that's going on. Everybody's busy. Everybody's pulled in our own direction. It's so important for us to reconnect, whether it's through blood or whether it's just through a built community surrounding those individuals. It's our community and our children, and it's our responsibility to do something. When you recognize it, we've got to respond appropriately. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you again, Sarah Lynn. This, again, is such an important topic. And as you said, we are all a part of this community. And so we all have to be a part of the solution. And that's what our mission is. So you've been listening to the Make the Connection to End Human Trafficking podcast, a three-part series sponsored by the Greater Denton County chapter of the Lynx Incorporated. Thank you so much for being here and look for our next podcast down the road. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, Please call 911. I know you have ingested everything you heard today. And for some, this topic may remind you of someone you may know. If you or someone you know needs help, call the National Human Trafficking Hotline 
It's a toll-free call, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. The number is 1-888-373-7888 to speak to a specially trained anti-trafficking hotline advocate. You may also email them at help at humantraffickinghotline.org. The one thing I want you to remember is the basic definition of human trafficking. And what it does, it pertains to someone who is forced to have sex for money or something of value against his or her will. They also could be under the age of 18, engaging in commercial sex, and is being forced to work and perform services against her or his will. So please, don't hesitate. If you see something, say something.